Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They, they might need pastoral help or professional help, but you know what they need more than anything is just a couple that loves each other to say, listen, we all have problems, we all struggle, we all disagree, but here's what we're doing, here's why it's working for us. We know what God says, we argue, we look at the word, says, oh, that's how he wants it. And we agree we're going to do it God's way. Today in part two of Pastor Sam's message, Husbands, Wives, and Children, we dive even deeper into Jesus's teaching on divorce here in the first 16 verses of Mark 10. Now, when it comes to this subject, it is so important that instead of asking, well, what is fair or what does everyone else do? We ask, what does God want? So let's listen in. I do believe it's possible, and I do believe it happens, where there's an actual guilty and innocent party in a divorce, where one absolutely doesn't want it and isn't doing anything to help it happen. And the other has just set, and often it's the guy, but not always, set his heart on someone else or something else. Those vows he made, no longer the issue. The, 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 the relationship with the Lord, well, you know, there are a lot of Christians who've been divorced and they're still happy. Yeah, maybe they are. But that doesn't answer the question, is this the will of God? In Malachi, God says he hates divorce. I've noticed he never says he hates anything good. He only hates things that are sin. Why? Because sin hurts people. It brings shame and suffering and pain and sorrow. And in this context, he says he hates divorce because it, it, it leads to all sorts of suffering. And more often than not, the greatest suffering isn't between the two. It's those children, if the children exist. I come from a divorced family. Many of you know this. My mom and dad divorced when I was relatively young. <laughs> And, uh, and then stepfather, and that didn't go real well. I got out at 16. Pam has a very similar experience. Parents didn't get along. They got divorced. She had a stepfather who kicked her out of her house at 16. My brother Tony was raised by the stepfather I didn't get along with, and he left home at 16. So 16 is kind of it in our family. And then uh, you just go. The other thing, the Bible says a man should leave his father and mother, and Jesus is going to quote it, and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. In our family, there were far more leavers than cleavers. And I used to watch the cleaver family on Leave It the Beaver, and I was like, I want to be like that. And then I realized, well, I, can never, I can't change how my parents lived or the decisions they made or how they impacted me. But I could change the future. How so? I married someone who was equally committed to me as I was to her. We weren't even Christians. We were just stubbornly refusing to fail in marriage. And then we found the Lord, or, well, you know how it really works. He found us. And uh, that just made the whole thing work. I don't know how it would have worked without him. You know how that death to death do us part? might have turned out that way. She would have probably killed me. But uh, anyway, the, the, the thing I'm getting to is this. Moses permitted 
a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. And Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. What does that mean? If a woman wasn't loved by her husband and he decided, you know what, I've had enough. He writes her a certificate of divorce. He puts her out of the house. She was free to go and marry another because she'd been dismissed. She'd been divorced. She didn't divorce him. What she couldn't do is go back to him, but why would she want to anyway? And the bottom line is because men's hearts were hard. That's what Jesus said, because your hearts were hard. What, what he's saying is this is a concession. So she didn't have to suffer a lifetime of abuse from a man who didn't love her, didn't cherish her, had no desire to be a blessing to her. He could just write, but he was setting her free. The, the mercy was on her in all of this. It was a con, wasn't a concession to the man. And uh, I've noticed looking around, and I don't mean looking around in here. I mean looking around out there, listening to people today. One thing's absolutely clear. This is one thing that hasn't changed. Men's hearts are so hard. And when you talk to people and their, their marriage is falling apart, and listen, if you have friends and they're struggling in their marriage, they, they might need pastoral help or professional help, but you know what they need more than anything is just a couple that loves each other to say, listen, we all have problems. We all struggle. We all disagree. But here's what we're doing. Here's why it's working for us. We know what God says. We argue. We look at the word. He says, oh, that's how he wants it. And we agree we're going to do it God's way. People need to hear from their friends, their family, that, that the ones who are closest to them and care for them, that, that their marriage can work because I, I'm pretty sure you're aware marriage is in serious trouble. And I've tracked it and watched and I didn't bring any statistics for today, but I just want to say it, it kind of, you know, it, it, marriage was like going pretty good. I mean, the, the divorce rate was pretty low in the 50s when I was born. But my parents and Pam's parents still divorced. So they were messing with the stats. And, and then it, it just, you know, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and then it kind of plateaued. And I'm hearing that we're doing way better. Listen, way better would be every man loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And every wife submitted to her husband, honoring and respecting him as Christ demands and commands. Not because he has to have his way, because that's what makes the whole thing work. And so Jesus does what he often does. He takes them back to the beginning. He doesn't get himself into the debate because the debate is foolish. Does God allow what we all know God allows? But why did he allow it? And then it says, from the beginning, verse 6, of the creation, he takes them all the way back. God made them male and female. You know, he spoke all things into existence with a word. The universe, he just said, let there be, and it was. But when he made man, he made him hands on. And he made him out of the dirt. I remember the first time I ever heard the term dirtbag. I think Bud had done something wrong. And he said, I'm such a dirtbag. And I'm like, Bud, you're not a dirtbag. And then I'm reading Genesis. And I'm like, well, maybe he is a dirtbag. <laughs> but not just Bud. 
Not just him. Not picking on him. He's the one who said it of himself. The point is, we were made from the dirt. So, so how are we different from the dirt? God breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So first he forms and fashions him hands-on, then he breathes into him. That's what he's done to us spiritually. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's breathed into us not just the breath of life physically, but spiritually, eternally. And so in the midst of that picture, he forms everything, everything after he creates with simply a word, the rest he's more hands-on in it. And, and he, of course, he makes Eve from Adam and for Adam. He brings her to Adam and the two of them become one. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. That was plan A. We read that God desires a godly offspring. It's one reason he loves and created marriage. It's one reason he says he hates divorce because it's really hard to raise a godly family if the parents won't do what God says. It's not impossible because my parents didn't obey the Lord and well, I'm walking with them and serving them. Pam's parents didn't obey the Lord but we each chose each other, then we each chose the Lord, and we've lived the rest of our life as if those choices meant something. So Adam and Eve, first humans. Adam and Eve, first married couple. Adam and Eve, first humans to sin. Adam and Eve, first parents after they'd sinned. For this reason, verse 7, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Genesis 24, or 2.24, says inseparable. It, it, this word, one flesh, means inseparable. It's the same word, the, the word one, that's used of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Lord, it's in Deuteronomy 6, 4, that the Lord our God is one. We'll come to it. I'll read it to you toward the end of the service in another context, an important one, by the way. Well, both here are singular. One man, one wife, not a man and his wives. You know, there are those, they read the scripture and they say, well, man, Jacob had a bunch of wives. And you know, David took another wife and, and they point out that there are people in Scripture who didn't obey all God's commands. Guess what? That's true of everyone who ever lived except Jesus. He did always those things that pleased the Father, tempted and always yet without sin. So, so we can't look at an example and say, well, look, here it is in the Bible, so it must be okay. That would make Cain killing Abel okay because, well, it's right in the Bible. Or Satan deceiving Eve okay because, hey, it's right there in the Bible. Bigamy, polygamy, every other igamy, God is not for those. So 
a man's to leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, singular, the two, not the few, become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage, get this, God's plan before the fall. He envisioned it to be enjoyed by two perfect people. Adam and Eve are the only people who know what it is to be perfect and married. Because Jesus was the only other perfect man and he never married. So, so it didn't all go good for them, as you know. But I think that has a little bit to do with the whole sin thing there in the garden. Marriage was still God's plan after the fall. I like that. They'd mess things up pretty bad, but he didn't say, well, no, what are we going to do about marriage? No, now they would enjoy marriage, but it was two sinners trying to enjoy marriage. And I'm thinking they probably enjoyed it a little bit less. Nevertheless, it was still God's perfect will for them. And then marriage predates the law. And marriage outlives it under grace. It was then and it is now his plan for us. We don't stay married because God's law says we must. We, we marry because we want to spend the rest of our lives with someone and we want to love them and care for them and provide for them and protect them and be all we can be for them and to them. Marriage was and is God's primary institution the foundation for healthy families, healthy churches, healthy communities. Well, in the house, his disciples ask him, as often is the case, about the same matter. Verse 10, he says to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Listen, against her. He's sinning against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Why does he call it adultery? Because once the two become one flesh, sex with anyone else violates his original intention. He always calls that sin. Well, verses 13 through 16, three C's, our conclusion. And it's a fitting conclusion. It can't be a coincidence that he moves from talking about husbands and wives, marriage, to children. Because while not the only reason for marriage, and certainly we're aware people can have children without being married, the question is, is that best for them? Is that best for the children? Not is it legal, because there are so many things legal today. You wonder, will anything be illegal except for saying, that's, that's not good, that's not right, that's not the will of God. And, and, and so here's the point. Commitment, consummation, and more often than not, children. Those are the three C's that frame the rest of our time together, about five minutes, ten at the most. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Don't you love these guys? People are like, let's take the kids to Jesus. Let's get them to, you know, pray for them and, and, and just, you know, embrace them. And, and the disciples are like, hey, where are you going? He's a busy guy. He has appointments. The Pharisees are trying to get him. The Sadducees are trying to get him. Herod's trying to get him. Hey, these people actually love him. 
want their children to know him. And I like how he says, you know, well, the disciples rebuked them and Jesus saw it. He was greatly displeased and said to them elsewhere, one of the other accounts that says he rebuked them. This is one of the few times he answers in kind. They deserved it. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. It's more than let them come, bring them. That's what the parents were already doing. He's saying, let them come to those who were hindering. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Don't want to camp there, but he's not saying you have to be childish to enter the kingdom of God or foolish or naive. You just need to be childlike, trusting, hopeful, you know, filled with anticipation of, of what life can bring. And, and every little child starts out that way. He took them up in his arms. He laid his hands on them and blessed them. Marriages and families are hurting. I know you know that, but there is hope. He moves from this discussion on marriage taking them back to the beginning, not entering into the current needless debate on divorce. And he blesses the children because it completes the picture for us. Again, not the only reason for marriage, but a primary part of God's plan for marriage and for children. Children need parents. I don't know if you're aware of this. Seems our government isn't. They think, you know, just come to us because we tax them and give you money as if all children need is money. No, children need parents. Loving, godly husband, a wife working together works best. But today, it's upside down again. God's plan for family is mocked. It's missing. It's out of date. It's no longer it. No longer needed. Hey, government can take care of it all. Unfaithful fathers, failed marriages, troubled teens, gangs replace family, prison awaits. It's the, it's the, the ultimate result of ignoring what God says will work. And people look around and they're trying to figure it out. It's so simple that, that kids need parents to guide them, to teach them, to love them, to be examples to them. And I want to say, I thank God for every one of you who are raising children, who put your children, their needs before your own, not their desires. They're like you. They want all sorts of stuff they don't need. And they think it'll make them happy. But if you put their needs before yours, man, God's going to bless that radically. I thank God for all the foster parents who are here. I thank God for all of those who are, um, have adopted foster kids. Lots of you have done that. Some of you have been adopted. I, I thank God for every single mom. And, and listen, if you're a single mom, we want to know about that. Why? Because you need, you need help. You need people that care about you. you. You need people to come alongside and say, okay, you don't have that covering. You don't have a husband. What can we as a fellowship offer to you? 
And I thank God for everyone who's committed to marriage in a time where, where Satan is doing everything he can and culture's doing everything it can, the world, the flesh, and the devil just attacking with all, all barrels going. So anyway, for those of us who know the truth, well, it's not always easy to do what's best. But God gives us a very simple and very beautiful template in Deuteronomy 6. I mentioned it earlier. It begins in verse 4. I'll read you this. We'll pray together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. And if you want to make your life right, here's what you need to do. If you want to make your marriage right, start here. You want to make Raising kids work, start here. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. These words which I command you, he says today, shall be in your heart. Write God's word on the tablets of your heart. How do you do that? You memorize the word. You meditate on it. Not emptying your mind, filling your mind with God's truth. So you start by loving him with all that's in you. You take his word to heart. You teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's so good. He's saying teach them formally, diligently. And then talk about those things in the everydayness of life. When you're lying down, when you're getting up, when you're walking down the road when you're picking them up from the playground or you're picking them up from school, talk about what God's word has to say. Grandsons were over this, uh, this weekend spending a little time and uh, I've been challenged to a couple chess tournaments. I was really tired last night. I was afraid I could actually get beat, so I said tomorrow. But uh, of course, it's a nine-year-old, you know, it's like I should be able to take him, but he trash talks and I'm trying to say, listen, don't trash talk and... And chess, this is a gentleman's game. He's just, a, I'm just a little kid. So anyway, <laughs> the, the, where I'm going with all that is, is in the everydayness of having breakfast and doing those things this morning, I'm like, who knows the shortest verse in the Bible? And, and they're like, I want to know it because someone's always asking, who knows a Bible verse? Jesus wept. And so I gave him that one. But then Lou, he runs in and he grabs a little thing and he's the super reader in the family and he finds a scripture out of this little scripture box. I didn't even know he knew where it was. I didn't even know where it was. And he comes and he reads a scripture and it's out of Isaiah and it's just so awesome. So, so here's the point. You love the Lord. You plant his word in your heart. You talk about it. You teach it to your children. It says bind them as a sign on your hand. And put them as frontlets between your eyes. They did that literally. Little boxes here and here. I, I like the idea of keeping the word before your eyes and keeping the word at hand. You're ready to work with it and you're always looking at it. Even if it's just in your, your mind's eye. Love, oh, then, then he says, uh, basically summarizing this. Love him supremely. Memorize his word, writing it on the tablet of your heart, teaching your children formally and informally, keeping the word close at hand before your eyes and theirs. 
then write it where all can see it. Because the last thing he says is, is write it on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Well, let the little children come to me, verse 14, the latter part. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. I've heard it asked so many times, what is God's will for me? Well, we talked a little bit about being salt back in Mark 9, and in Matthew 5, Jesus told us as believers that we are to be salt and light. That's God's will for us. Well, married folks, here's your opportunity to use your marriage as your ministry. Allow God to be the glue that keeps your marriage together and strong. Allow those who would look to see what a marriage with Jesus at the center looks like. Disciple other married couples or soon to be married couples on what joy can come from a union that God has created and God sustains. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.